I'm Chris Turner, and this is Tapestries Empowered to Connect podcast. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Tapestries Empowered to Connect podcast. Joining me, as always, are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. So we're back from our break for Tapestry Conference, and we have some uh, listener feedback. A question coming to us from Lori. And Lori says, how important is maintaining biological family relationships for foster or adoptive children? Is it something that we should put a lot of effort into for the long-term benefit? Our foster son is five and has lived with us for two years. Prior to that, he lived with his great-grandmother his whole life. The visits we have had don't seem that significant. Is it something he will look back on as an adult and appreciate? So, where do we want to start with that one? That's a good question. That's a really great question. I think. Sorry, I was just say before we start answering the question, I think we have to be very upfront with we can only answer this question question based on our experience, right? Right. We can only testify to what we know because Mm -hmm. I think we're going to say some things that won't be true for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I do want people to, to kind of hear what we're saying through the lens of, okay, well, that's their experience. That's what worked for them. Mm-hmm. And not, not that we're declaring this to be universally true for everybody. So I just wanted to get that out there, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, I think, um, yeah, I think that's a good point because as we've talked, we've over the years we've talked to lots of adoptees, adult adoptees, and, um, and I think one thread that runs through it all is that they all think about their birth family. Mm-hmm. Whether they have a relationship with them or not, they think about their birth family on a fairly regular basis, right? A lot of adoptees will tell us that they have thought of their birth family on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Our kids talk to us about their birth family often, and uh, we actually have an open adoption with one of our kiddos, and I think it's been really good for her maintaining that family contact. It's been a safe thing for her. It's been a good relationship to have over the years she's been able to um, ask questions that she had Mm. um, and get them answered in a way that I couldn't have answered them in a way that Ryan couldn't have answered them because it was firsthand right you know experience she's been able to actually talk to her birth mom and say you know hey where are you living right now Right. Or what are you, you know, what are you doing for this holiday or what are you doing for that? She can actually just have those conversations with her. And I think having that connection has actually been really good for her to keep grounded in reality Mm -hmm. and also for us to be able to um, help her deal with some difficult, um, difficult things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's given her a really good perspective on relationship. You know, she doesn't have any confusion mm. about what's going on in terms of, um, you know, Kayla is her mom. Her birth mom is her birth mom. She understands that. She, When she was little, she would tell us, I grew in her tummy. Mm. You know, so she has a really, really, I think, really, really healthy understanding of how everybody, all the roles that different people play in her life. Right. And um, I love it when, when we're all together because she's excited and her birth mom's coming over. Like for years, we've done like Thanksgiving together, right? And yeah. Some Christmases. And um, when we say we have open adoption, we're like, 
like sleeps in our house right. when she visits, open adoption, right? I mean, she's really, really open. But for, for, for our daughter, it's been really healthy because she's seen all of us, how we interact with each other. And um, like she's excited when she hears they're coming. Mm. But she also doesn't have any sort of like really dark moments when they leave. She's like, oh, they came and visited. And I think knowing that she has access to them mm. has helped her. She doesn't sit in her room and wonder. Right. She's not created this this image of, of a person that she doesn't know. Mm. And it's been really, really good for her. And she knows that she gets to see them. She knows if she wants to, to talk to her, she just has to say, hey, can I call her? And the answer is always yes. And so I think it's really helped her be very... I think it's helped her security with us and her attachment with us because she has such a really great perspective and on how all of these different people fit into her universe. Mm. I like what something you said a minute ago, Kayla, about it keeps her grounded in reality. Yeah. And played on the same thing you just said right about she knows all the roles that everyone plays because we don't have that option with one of our kiddos. We know nothing about birth parents. And so he, he doesn't have any reality ground in when it comes to birth parents and so he makes stuff up yeah because we don't have answers to give him even though we desperately want to give them to him that's pretty common from what i've when i've talked to other parents too that have said the same thing that and even with some of our kids too we don't have open adoptions Mm. with all of our kids we don't even have connections to all of our kids birth families at all and i think it is harder for those kids that don't have that connection and desperately want to have the answers Mm -hmm. So I think when it's safe and when it's available, I think we should allow the connections to continue because no matter what happened to our kids, no matter what reason they're in our home and not in their birth family, Mm -hmm. that's always going to be their family. Right. And so if we set it up as a competition of, well, I don't want them to like the birth family more than they like us. I mean, at some point they're going to be an adult and they're going to get to make that own decision about spending time with birth family or finding birth family or whatever. So I think if we can facilitate that while they're younger Mm. and it just becomes a normal part of their life, it's not this thing that they wished for and hoped for their whole life. And they're either really let down by the experience because maybe birth family didn't want the connection Mm. or they're really um, just drawn to this birth family. That's been, it's kind of like the, if something is off limits for a kid, they want it more than they right. might not have, you know, mm. than they might Forbidden have. Forbidden fruit's more appealing. Right. right. And and we don't ever want it, want to create a competition between birth family and us. I mean, I think when you can have that connection and both the birth family and the adoptive family can come together and say, hey, we all love this kid. Mm. It just creates a better environment for that child. Now, it's not always safe. And I think that's important to remember as well. We have... You know, we know of situations and we have situations that we're connected to that are not safe for them to have that connection. But if there's a, a good connection, like in this, in Laurie's case where, you know, this child lived with the great grandparents and probably health reasons or we don't know what the reasons are, but right. I would, I would assume there was some reason that they couldn't, but they've maintained connection. I think it's important to keep that connection, mm-hmm. um, just so that child has that connection for as long as they can have it. Right, because you know, great-grandma might be the only one that has answers to his question. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, there are just so many places to go from what you just said. Um, one of them being that you know, we know families who, who play this game, that the, the child's life started the day they arrived 
in their home mm-hmm. and try to pretend like they have no biological roots and try to pretend like they have no connection. And, and in fairness, though, that's a pretty common attitude, right? Tories are African-American, and when, when we first brought her home, um, a friend of ours asked me, are you going to tell her that she's adopted? <laughs> and I said to him, how am I going to hide that? Right. <laughs> but people don't think in those terms. People, I mean, I think it's a pretty commonly held belief from some of the people that we know, specifically people not connected to adoption mm. and foster care, that this whole idea that the kid's life started the day they arrived in your home. And that is so unhealthy for the child because what you're telling them is that they may not process their past. Mm. And you cannot be freed from the junk that happened back there unless you're willing to look at that and process that. And when we tell our kids that it is not okay to deal with their past, I think it's really, really damaging to them personally. I think it's really, really damaging to our relationship with them. And, you know, we have a pretty, we've always had a pretty unique sort of case study scenario here in our house in that our son is uh, two years older than our, than our daughter we have the open adoption with, and he, we have no connection to his uh, birth family at all. And at first, I think it was really, really hard for him, because mm-hmm. I think we have to consider everybody in the house, not just how does this impact one person. I think it was really, really hard for him at first, because it reminded him of a relationship he didn't have. Mm-hmm. And by it... Meaning having a relationship with yes, her. Yes, having, having t- uh, our daughter's birth mom present. Yes, thank you. Um, but the great part about that is over the course of time with her consistently being around, not frequently, but consistently, mm-hmm. um, he sort of came to terms with that. And we would notice that he would really try to interject himself between the two of them at first, but then came to understand that it was okay for the three of them to do stuff. Mm. And ended up having a really good relationship with her um, just because I think it taught him how to have a healthy relationship with a birth mother. Mm. And, and which is now, you know, he's at a place now where he's trying to really process a lot of, of, a lot of his non-connection mm. uh, to his birth parents. And I think he's doing, and we were talking about this in the car the other night, I think he's probably doing as good a job as you might expect in that, in that case of somebody who just turned 15 like, a couple of weeks ago really trying to process and come to terms with his past without having any physical connection to it. Mm. So I think ultimately it's been good for him too to watch this healthy dynamic and also see that it doesn't actually birth mom and mom are not in competition with each other in mm-hmm. reality and they're not in competition with each other um, in our daughter's mind. And a lot of times a lot of our kids do have that other person that, you know, that's why I got a message the other day. Well, what do you do when your kid says, I hate you? What do you do when your kid says, you're not my real mom? And that hurts. Mm-hmm. But they don't mean it to be hurtful to you personally. It's like Purvis used to say, um, your kid's not mad at you. You just happen to be the only adult in the room. Right. And so um, having this, this picture to look at, I think has been helpful for our children long term and there have been some you know for our son who's not directly connected to our daughter's birth mother obviously he had a, it helped him process some stuff mm. which I think was really really helpful you know for him and I think he's probably in a better place today about what how he views his own birth family because of being a participant in having his sister's birth mother in the house mm. well we've always 
talk to our kids about their birth family being an extension of our family, right? I mean, so when our kids say to us, do you love my birth family? And I will say to them, do you love your birth family? And they say, yes. And I say, then we love your birth family because they're someone that you love, right? So they're part of our family. They are connected to our family in that way. And so I think it's been really helpful for our kids that don't have a, an actual connection to their birth family to know that we love their birth family because they gave them life. If for no other reason, they gave them life. We also we also try to speak positively about their birth family. Yeah. Um, because obviously we do know some of the details. Um, our, four, our four kids um, were adopted through the foster care system. So, um, you know, it's nobody ends up in foster care because they won the lottery. Right. You know, so, and we do have some of the case files and do know some of the, some of the things that happen in some of those situations. But even, even in all that, um, one of the things we've come to understand over the years is, is sometimes people who from the outside looking in, we can be judgmental and say, well, they failed at that thing. Mm-hmm. But what we then also need to remember is maybe what we what we have decided or the system has decided as a failure of parenting was them doing the best they could mm. because they themselves didn't have the skills or the tools to parent well or parent safely or parent whatever, you know, mm-hmm. we can fill in the blank there. But at the same time, we have to recognize just because somebody did the best they could does not mean that they did what was the best for the per- the child, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes even doing your best isn't good enough. Right. And I think we have to be honest and recognize that. But we can also have a place of compassion and grace for them and say, look, they did the best they could. We understand that. And, you know... Um, and, and try to and try to put them in a positive light as much as possible, and not not glossing over anything, but saying these are people that that you love, that we love, that God loves, and even though they made mistakes, there are still people who are valuable to the Lord, and we have to pray for them, and we have to think about them positively, because I promise you, when we first became parents, um, one of the first things we were ever asked to speak on was why birth families matter. Mm because of our experience with it. Um, I think probably at the time we were the only people um, that the Monroes knew had an open adoption Mm -hmm. because it was a long, long time ago when we first did that. But when they asked us to speak on that, we're like, why 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 does a child's birth family matter? And because they matter to our kids and they matter to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And because of those two things, they have to matter to you. And I will never, ever forget that, that day of all the speaking we've done over the years. That day is burned into my mind because there was this one woman sitting like dead center in the room. I don't know if you remember this, Kayla. And she was crying. About halfway through, she started crying. She looked like she was about 28 years old at the time. Mm. 28 to 30 kind of in there. And she was sobbing for like the last half of the presentation. She just sobbed. And so, you know, afterwards, um, people are generally... Um, either just want to come and you know, say something kind to you after you speak, or sometimes mm. they want to pick a fight over a point you made. <laughs> Both of those are truths that happen. But this woman walked up to Kayla, and and um, as is usually the case when we speak together, the line of people to see Kayla is longer than the line of people to see me. <laughs> so, so my, my it's li- just because you usually offend somebody at some point during this. <laughs> That's just talk. simply maybe true. maybe true. <laughs> But anyhow, I feel like we're rabbit trailing now. From, <laughs> um, but, 
but she so by the time she had gotten to the she just kind of hung around till everybody left and so I was able to be part of the conversation and she said I said I noticed you crying and she said yeah it was really um, that was kind of tough but it was pretty good she said um, I gave up my child for adoption 12 years ago as a teenager and she said and that happened because think now this isn't so she gives up her child for adoption like 20 years ago right in the Mm -hmm. timeline here and she said back then nobody said anything positive about people like me. I was just vilified. And she said, mm. I'm, in I'm 28 years old, and in my whole life, I've never, ever heard anybody speak positively about the birth mother, mm. ever. And she said, and listening to you people speak that today was just so emotionally overwhelming. I mean, she sobbed for like half an hour sitting in her chair there. And it was just so, um, that's like burned into my memory because I think it's a great mistake that we don't think positively um, about these, the kids' birth mothers. Because mm-hmm. sometimes in the foster care situation, uh, mom might not have been the person who hurt the child, right? right? But because of the environment she lives in, the child has to be removed from that. Right. Um, in private adoption, we're, we've got people who are choosing a better life for their kid because they're understanding because of where they are in their lives. I remember that time we went to an open adoption panel and they, this woman was a genius. It's, it is the thing that turned, turned open our eyes to open adoption. She said, how many of you are scared of open adoptions? Now, I've gone to enough of these things that you know you never, ever raise your hand for a yes, no question. <laughs> Apparently, I was the only person in the room that was apprised of this. Because everybody put their hands up. And because you don't raise your hand because you know what's happening next, right? Because right. if you raise your hand, she's going to ask you the follow-up question. Right. And she looks at this one woman and she said, Why? And she said, because I'm scared, because she said the thing that everybody was thinking, right? Because I'm scared that the birth family is going to come and find us and take the child. Mm. And this woman said, because um, she, I forget, I wish I remember her name, because she was like a pioneer of open adoption in, yeah, in Texas. Yeah, I don't remember her name either. Um, she was like a big proponent of it, like from the late 70s until people started doing it. And she mm. said, I promise you that that only happens in losing Isaiah. It does not happen in reality. Mm. And um, that really was like a real aha moment for us. But this was her real genius. At the end of the seminar, she brought three teenage um, women who were college freshmen, I think, who were all pregnant, who had all given up their kids for adoption, mm. and uh, I did a Q and A with them. And then, in the midst of all of that, she brought pictures to one of the moms. The first time she'd seen pictures of her baby since she placed her baby for adoption, and she just broke down and sobbed. Mm. And I'm like, um, because what she really did, and I, and I don't think she did it intentionally, or maybe she did, I don't know, I didn't right. ask her. But what she really did in that moment was made birth moms very sympathetic figures in my mind. Yeah. And it changed my perspective on birth families in, in ways that nothing has as much other than actually having a real connection to one of my children's birth mothers and living in relationship with her. I mean, she lived at our house for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had to get there, though. And I think that I think that it's a much better environment today at the end of 2017 and how people view birth families. Mm-hmm. But there are still people out there that have a real negative view and think that if we can just pretend like these people don't exist, our kids will, will bond with us and attach more. And the reality is, is, is like Kayla said earlier, our kids are thinking about the families that they were born to, mm-hmm. whether they talk about it or not. And if you're not helping them process that, then you're not actually being an active participant in their healing the way they need you to be. And I think just as we talk about this, again, just remembering that we have to do what's best for our kids Mm -hmm. and that 
not every situation is going to be a healthy environment for our kids. And not every situation, having that connection is going to help our kids heal. I've talked to some families who every time they had a visit, things just spiraled out of control. And the kids, maybe the birth family told them things that weren't true or promised them things they couldn't you know, keep, yeah, yeah, they couldn't deliver on. And, and so we have to look at every situation and say, is this what's best for my child? And mm. am I doing what's best for my kid? And ultimately it's a personal decision, but I think that if it's a healthy situation and if it's a healthy um, relationship, whether it's with birth parents or extended family or, you know, Anything like that, I think ultimately, if it's healthy, I think our kids will thank us for it later. Yeah, Yeah, because what I heard you say in all of that was don't be close to the idea until you actually have a good reason to be close to the idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to change. Because most people come, I'm close to the idea until I have a good reason to not be close to the idea. Mm. But it's the same thing. You know, growing up, my dad would say to me, I will trust you when you've earned my trust. Mm. But the reality is, is I have to teach my children how that they are trusted and that they are worthy of trust. And that is the only way they will learn to be trustworthy people. Mm. So a little perspective shift as with, as with most things we discuss. So Lori, I guess that's our way of saying that you should do whatever is possible for you to do to get answers that your son is going to want later on as that adult. And if you can maintain the, that healthy relationship with the biological family now, He will thank you for it later on. So if this episode has raised questions of your own, feel free to shoot them our way. You could tweet it to us at TapestryIBC if you're a Twitter person. If you're a Facebook person, you can find us there, also at TapestryIBC. Or if you'd prefer to email us, you can just send us one at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You could subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or the Google Play Store. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. If you've enjoyed and gotten value from our episodes, we would appreciate a review in either location. Empowered to Connect is the training and support community of Tapestry, the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. You can check the show notes for relevant links from this episode and find more resources on our website, empoweredtoconnect.org. Thanks for listening. 